Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. How badly has the pandemic impacted both Hamilton and London City Council finances? Well, we'll get to perspective from both towns. The bus driver shortage continues, and it's a province-wide issue. Here in Hamilton, 34 bus routes were canceled. We'll talk about possible solutions to that. And a new tool has been implemented by the Ontario government to help parents, staffers, and students on a daily basis access themselves towards COVID-19 testing. It's all coming up. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Let's uh, get right down to it about the, the municipal problems that are being faced right now because of COVID-19. And they are many, of course. Uh, one of them here in the Hamilton area uh, is the Hamilton Farmer's Market right downtown, of course. And, uh, well, they made a presentation to a city council committee just the other day. Uh, it's right downtown, of course, which means Ward 2, and that means Jason Farr, the city councilor for the downtown, uh, is intricately involved in this. He joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show to give us an update. Jay, thank you for the time. Good to have you with us today. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate being on. You've been a big fan of of the market, uh, a strong advocate for this. But uh, boy, I, we've all been hit by this. But uh, I, I read over some of the reports of the finances and the financials that these guys were presenting. Uh, it seems as if this is an entity that really kind of got caught between the cracks when the federal governments and provincial governments are trying to offer assistance to businesses. Yeah, it did on the circa crack actually specifically. Yeah. So you know, a lot of businesses like uh, the vendors. Uh, might have been available for 75% uh, uh, rebates, but uh, they didn't qualify because it's a city-owned uh, entity, a city-owned facility, and because of that, unfortunately, uh, municipalities weren't or, or are not uh, 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 permitted to apply for circa, and so they came to us and asked for essentially a, a 19% budget variance or 150k to, to cover them. And so council actually deliberated that uh, both uh, with the presentation questions from Eric Miller, the acting chair of the farmer's market, a very uh, efficient, knowledgeable guy who's been on that market a long time. And ultimately, we talked in camera, too. We came out and said, well, we're going to hold off making a decision just yet. But uh, we definitely appreciated uh, the dilemma they're in and so many others are in. But this one, like you say, Bill, it's a bit of an anomaly. Yeah, it is, and and the numbers are troubling as they are with every business. I know that uh, you know you've heard from an awful lot of them in the downtown area and right across the, the community. Uh, but I mean, you know, you, you got to get people in the door, and that seems to be part of the problem. What are the average about uh, twenty thousand people a week uh, back in the old days before COVID, and it was down around five thousand now? It's, it's no yeah. wonder these guys are hurting. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it was it was a discouraging uh, graph to see, given that I spent eight years on that market on a board of directors in various machinations. When it started, it was an all council board make up. Then it turned to a bit of a mix, and now uh, in the last uh, five years, this new uh, board of governance. And you know, I heard a lot of, uh, especially in the early days, um, you know, suggestions from the vendors on ways we could make business better. Whether it was you know parking issues or whether it was you know maintenance issues, HVAC problems they were having in the new facility, and how that was negatively affecting their business. What we saw in that report up until 2019 and for the last three years was, yeah, markets uh, doing really well, uh, 20,000 visitors uh, a week, and 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 you know up until the end of 2019, and then the first month of 2020, and then all of a sudden that you know line on that graph just drops from 20,000 approximate visitors to roughly yeah five five seven. 
and, and, you know, I mean, a lot of vendors, uh, I think it was only about 23 or 24 that maintained their businesses throughout the pandemic because it is, uh, you know, the equivalent, I guess, of a grocery store or essential service. So they were permitted to uh, stay open, but some were not permitted as vendors. Others chose to not open. And uh, so, you know, that factors in as well for, for the visitors. They offered other reasons for businesses being down, and I'm sure you saw it in the report, but... Uh, uh, you know, ultimately it's COVID-19 related and, uh, you know, with their annual general meeting scheduled, they, they presented to us, uh, this issue and certainly council's taking it seriously. And this has to be done under the context, of course, of, of the financial pressure that you as a city council are under because of COVID. Big time. Uh, you know, uh, you don't have that kind of money laying around, first of all. Uh, when you and I talked, I guess it was around the beginning of the summer when you got an overview from uh, city finance staff, Mike Zagarek and others, uh, it was a pretty bleak picture. Uh, what's what's the status now? Well, I know uh, next week on the 24th on your radio show, you'll be probably spending an hour on it. On the 23rd, council will we'll be receiving another update from finance, uh, Mike okay. Carrick. And so what, what we uh, talked about and you talked about, I think with the mayor as well and others, uh, was a report, uh, from about, I think it was mid August, third week of August that, uh, 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 recognized a $45 million commitment. Uh, at the time, you'll recall, we were talking about if this thing goes till the end of the year, our, our budget variance for the city could be upwards $122 million. If it went till uh, September, it was going to be around 61. So that $45 million quite obviously was helpful. $17 million of it went towards our, our really troubled uh, Hamilton Street Railway, our bus uh, system right now in the city. And, and uh, certainly it, it came at a, a good time. And with it came the announcement that there, there will be further information and further announcements. So we may have received a few other dollars since. I tried to get a handle on the exact amounts ahead of our conversation, Bill. But uh, with respect to, you know, housing and homelessness and those sorts of things, uh, certainly there's been uh, different injections uh, and, and assistance that has, has come our way. And, and, and come our way from, as you've pointed out on your program on a few times, an Ontario government whose deficit is around $40 billion right now and uh, channeled through, in some cases, the federal government, where we're looking at about a $350 billion deficit. So these government de- deficits are not hyper-local. There is obviously a, you know, a pretty bleak financial situation that uh, is facing us uh, from all three levels of government. And, you know, stuff we're going to have to deal with long after, you know, we find a vaccine, clearly. Well, yeah, I mean, our health experts are telling us this, and your financial people are telling us this, both uh, and at the federal and provincial governments as well, is this right. isn't going away anytime soon. Because, in other words, when you got money from the feds and the province, they told you, uh, you better be prepared for 2021 because we're not so sure that we're going to be able to do this for you again, and you may be on your own, or at least more on your own than you want to be. Right, and so, you know, we're looking at a micro issue with the farmer's market asking for a variance. Is that something we're going to be discussing, you know, next week when Mike Segarra comes with the more fulsome report on, on where we stand, or at least approximately where we stand on our finances. And is that something we can ask the province? You know, you know that municipally we need to balance our books every year. Yeah. Uh, not the case with, you know, federal or provincial governments, but uh, is that something that, uh, that this municipality and perhaps other municipalities across the country are facing the same fates and the same issues? will be requesting as well, allow us to run a little bit of a deficit for, you know, X amount of time while our finance staff obviously work out a, a plan to get back to that, uh, you know, non-deficit uh, function. 
Councillor Jason Farr for downtown. Uh, lots of challenges still to come on this. Uh, we'll stay in touch with us, Jay. Thanks so much for the time today. Great talking with you. Thank you, Bill. Take care. Uh, this is not unique to Hamilton, as Councillor Farr mentioned. Uh, we, you've seen the, the news stories, I'm sure, from Toronto, from Ottawa, from Windsor, I mean, you name it. Uh, they're all under the same pressure, as they are at London City Council. And to give us some perspective on that, we're pleased to welcome uh, Josh Morgan, who's the Ward 7 Councillor, and also the Budget Chair. And I know they just uh, recently had a long discussion about uh, their financial situation. Uh, Councillor, thank you so much for the time. Good to have you on the program today. Yeah, great to be here. Josh, I want to ask you the same thing I just asked Councillor Farr about, about the, the picture that you guys looked at back around three, two, three months ago uh, before the feds and the provinces decided, okay, we, we've got to do something here. Uh, you did get some money from both levels of government. Uh, it, combine that with the fact that uh, you guys rolled up your sleeves right around then and, and, and went to work with your own budget, didn't you? Yeah, so we just received a, a report from our staff projecting through the end of 2020, and, and, and what it, where it looks like we'll land is we'll have COVID-related costs or, or decreased revenues of about $68.4 million. Uh, now, we did receive uh, federal grant and provincial grant money um, from a variety of sources, including the Safe Restart funding that added up to about $55 million, so not quite closing that gap. But as you said, we also uh, took a number of significant actions in delaying projects, laying off staff, placing them on emergency leave, not hiring our seasonal workers, uh, that, uh, that added up to about $28.7 million of our own actions, which, which will put us in an end-of-year position of about $15.3 million to, to, the, to the surplus side of things. Um, so, how, go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, I was just going to ask you. So, with that, I mean, delaying projects. I mean, those things are still in the you know, on the docket. They still have to be done. What, what's the action plan to try to catch up? I guess do we wait until uh, this pressure eases, or do you just figure we got to find a way to get some of this stuff done? Yeah, well, there's a number of capital projects that, that we've delayed, and uh, and the challenge with that is, uh, you know, our capital projects actually create uh, good, well-paying jobs in the community, and they get mm-hmm. uh, needed infrastructure done, and so. With this $15.3 million uh, position that we're now in, and we're, we're lucky to be in, we're going to potentially restore some of those. This will be debated by our council next week uh, to, to provide a little bit of that stimulus. Uh, we're going to have to provide a bit of a bailout to our convention center. Um, the situation is not good there. They basically have zero revenues and have had for some time. Uh, and then what we're going to do is, is two really important things. One is we're going to take about $5 million and we're going to put it in our economic development reserve fund, which is where we're going to fund recovery efforts out of. And then we're going to take another 6.3 and we're going to put those in the contingency reserve to start to offset the expected costs of COVID in 2021, which uh, we're projecting to be still significant. Uh, as you said with your, your previous uh, discussion, uh, that this isn't going away anytime soon. And, and I think we, we have to turn our mind to how do we become sustainable for the long run. You've also made some allowances, of course, for the convention center, too. I mean, one of the things that uh, we've tried to uh, impress upon uh, the, the taxpayers, obviously, is uh, it, it's not just the cost of COVID-19. It's that revenues have essentially dried up. The, the sources of revenue that you would look at to try to alleviate some of these costs just aren't going to be there. And the convention center uh, is, is a problem. So you've, you've, you've set some money aside for that as well? Yes, we have. We're, we're going to set money aside to get them through 2020, and then uh, we'll have to think about how we handle uh, uh, 2021. Uh, it's, it's not just uh, revenues from boards and commissions like the Convention Center. Even where we've restored uh, services at the municipality with recreational programming, uh, that brings in uh, user fees. However, yeah. with social distancing, the way that we have to run those operations are, are at a completely different cost matrix, and, and they are not going to contribute in the same way that they did previously. And so even where we are running services and restoring revenues, 
they're going to be uh, they're going to be not contributing in the same way that they have in the past to the bottom line. Which is a nice segue, Josh, into uh, the thing that's a concern with every municipality right now, and that's public transit, which took a real hit, uh, of course, during the worst days, the dark days of COVID. And I like to think those are behind us, but I'm not so sure that they are. Uh, ridership was down. You did the same thing many other municipalities did, where you just put the uh, the kibosh on, on, on bus fares for the longest time. Uh, that's a loss of revenue, as you say, with social distancing. Uh, not many people are using this. Ridership is down considerably. Uh, and we really don't know when this is going to end. I mean, I, I wanted to ask you, boy, what's your plan for recovery? Uh, and I, I guess the first part of that, Josh, is, well, we're hoping there's going to be an economic recovery somewhere, too. Well, absolutely. I, I mean, I think that's what we're all thinking, not just municipal governments, but businesses and uh, and, and residents alike. Um, you know, the, the sooner we can get to a recovery phase and get through this, the sooner people can start to return their lives to normal. Um, it, you know, the impacts on municipalities are one thing, but the impacts on our citizens are you know, far greater uh, with people struggling to find work, uh, trying to get through uh, the, new, the new social norms of even their kids going to school this week, right? A very, very different world. So uh, in transit, you're right, it's going to be a challenge. Uh, our projections for 2021 are that our transit commission is expected to, to only hit about 75% of the pre-COVID ridership levels, and that'll give us about an $11.3 million hole to start to try to fill. So as you know, I, have, I said we had about a $15 million surplus. Well, we already project costs of well beyond that uh, through 2021. So we're going to have a lot of work to do in our budget discussion this fall uh, to try to figure out where we where we close that gap in 2021. Well, and you're not candy coating it for the sake of the taxpayers, and and, and, and that, that's a good move. I mean, you know, I know, I know it's it's difficult sometimes for elected officials to, to be upfront about this and say this is going to cost you. You want, but you want honesty, and you've already told them. You said, look, if there was a tax increase this year, there's probably going to be a bigger one next year. You're, you're right upfront about that. Well, what I'm the other thing I've been upfront about is uh, monitors have been frustrated because they're not seeing the same service levels. So we we basically collected money from them and and we didn't follow through on the commitment on on how we were going to spend it. Uh, you know, by by COVID coming along, we had all these decreased revenues and, and increased costs, and we basically threw those plans out the window and we had to to struggle to survive like other every other municipality. So I, I've been very upfront with monitors that listen, we we didn't do what we said we were going to do in 2020 because no one really did. And what we've got to do is be really transparent, really transparent in 2021 about the types of things that we're going to be able to do and the types of things we're not going to be able to do, given the current situation. And, and the plans that we had and the expectations that were out there are going to have to change, unfortunately. It's it's always a rough time when you start going through budgets. Uh, but, uh, boy, 2021 is really going to be a challenge this, this time around. Oh, absolutely, and and our council will have that discussion starting this fall, and uh, and I think it's going to be it's going to be a tough one. It's going to be, it's going to be you know taking the plans that we had and 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 either pushing them out further or or you know moving away from things that we 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 thought we could do, and and that's going to be the reality of the situation. It's going to be a lot of I think opportunity cost decisions, you know, limited resources and and lots of good things to to try to invest in and support uh, to support Londoners on, and and we're just not going to be able to do it all, and. Uh, we don't know if there'll be another, um, you know, package of support from other levels of government. So in London, we, you know, we got to prepare for, uh, for, for, you know, handling this ourselves as best we can. Absolutely. Uh, we'll have those discussions, of course, as you start those budget deliberations. Uh, Josh, thanks so much for the time. Great talking with you today and continued good luck. Yeah, thank you.
Take care. That's uh, Councilor Josh Morgan, of course, who's also the budget chair for the uh, that particular council, uh, London City Council Committee. Uh, and the challenges that everybody's facing these days, and, and he's absolutely right. I mean, there's a lot of disenchanted taxpayers because they say, what about this, what about this? I'm not getting this now. Uh, that's COVID, and, and we're all in the same boat in this situation right now, and there's going to be some very tough decisions to be made by councillors going forward here because this is not the way things used to be and may not be for quite some time to come. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. As we were talking about the school rollout program, and of course you may remember now, the uh, provincial government uh, announced their plans, their framework, uh, late July, uh, which some people said was too late. But one of the concerns that we raised consistently, a lot of talk went to the classroom. So what about school busing, which is a key part of this? And, And it has been a problem even before covid uh, there was always going to be some concerns about uh, the number of uh, drivers that are going to be available, uh, delays, cancellations on some routes. Well, as bad as the problem was in some jurisdictions before COVID, uh, it has been nightmarish for families and for drivers and for everybody else involved uh, in the short period of time that uh, we've tried to get the kids back into school. So what are we going to do about this? Uh, it, it's it's concerning here. I know I've got some stats here in the Hamilton area. 34 bus routes were canceled due to lack of drivers Uh, according to a story from CBC Hamilton. Uh, And it's not the first time something like this has happened. I want to bring Nancy Daniel into the conversation. Nancy is the executive director with School Bus Ontario uh, to give us some perspective on this. Nancy, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, We've got a real problem here, a real concern here. And I know that uh, I I was not the only voice that was talking about this, but I've I've talked to so many parents that are concerned about this. Maybe you could explain. I mean, I've got Hamilton numbers here, but my understanding is this is going on in in many other communities as well. It is. It's province-wide this year, and and the the main reason is because of COVID. And drivers are very, very concerned about catching COVID. Our demographic is over the age of 60. The majority of our drivers are over the age of 60. It tends to attract retirees because it's you know, it's a part-time job and it's a split shift and it seems always in the past it was good for a lot of retirees because it gave them a little bit of extra spending money. But this year, because of COVID, there's a tremendous amount of concern. So the drivers just aren't coming back. And then you combine that with a couple of months where we weren't able to recruit and train new drivers and we are way behind. This is not what we wanted. We wanted to have a really good, safe start to the school year. But there are situations right now that are beyond our control. Let me ask you about the recruitment part of that, because I know that over the last couple of years, I've had discussions with uh, with boards about that. And, and one of the frustrations they have is uh, sometimes as late as the last week of August, which is you know getting very close to the beginning of a school year, uh, they still don't know how many drivers are going to be available. And how, how do you rectify something like that? Because there's got to be some consistency, and, and you need to know it's, what the lay, excuse me the lay of the land is going to be. Yeah, and we share the concerns. Some of the issues, right, well, as, as I said, this year was unique because we were out of commission for a couple of months where we couldn't recruit. Everything was locked down, so we were behind three months, and trying to attract those new drivers was difficult. Then once we started, we were behind, and then you combine that with the fact that, you know, we didn't get the routes until some of the days, until the day before school started, where we didn't even know what the routes were. They weren't issued yet. So that added to the concern of the drivers. And then there was PPE. There was a whole host of other issues that just made it a really, really difficult start for us. 
Yeah, I was uh, watching one of the mums in our neighborhood picking up uh, their little girl yesterday, uh, and uh, it's it's a different scenario because I, I we'd heard about what was going to go on, and we've talked about workplace safety in the classroom. Uh, but that bus is the workplace for your drivers. And, and I mean, I can understand that there's going to be some concerns about public safety and, and about how they can be protected. What, what kind of what protocols are being put in place here to ensure that the drivers are going to be as safe as possible? Well, the province has issued PPE to us, which is masks and visors. They're supposed to wear the visors when they're loading and unloading at the school. That gives the drivers a little bit of an extra layer of protection. They have hand sanitizer and gloves. The windows are supposed to be open, weather permitting, to increase ventilation. Mm-hmm. And they're loading the buses differently, JK at the back, all the way up to the front, so that, you know, there's fewer people passing each other on the school bus. But, you know, the main issue on a school bus is that it's really difficult to do physical distancing. That's the issue. And there are still a lot of people who are opting to do online classrooms. So 30% fewer kids in the classroom but what's happening is some of the routes are therefore being combined and the buses are still full. So that adds another layer of concern to the issue for our school bus drivers. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask you about that. The, the bus I was looking at yesterday uh, that was in our neighborhood only had a handful of kids on it. And I, I don't know if that's unusual or not for that particular route or if this is the end of the route. I, I'm not sure exactly what's going on. But I had heard anecdotally that uh, that some of the drivers are concerned about the fact that social distancing is, is essentially impossible uh, because of some of the doubling up they've had to do with routes and things like that. Uh, that's got to be concerning for the drivers because they know that it's increasing the odds of a spread if then something's going to happen. Absolutely. And that is the probably the number one concern that our drivers are saying to us right now are the number of children on the bus. I mean, you know, if, if we were in stage two or some other stage where you could only have a certain number of people on the bus, it probably would make it easier. But then you have students who are left out not being able to get to school. So it's a vicious cir- circle, really. And then adding to the confusion are some school boards, and I don't know if this is the case in Hamilton, but it's different across the province, but some school boards will have different policies. For instance, if a school bus driver goes to pick up a child at a bus stop and the child is exhibiting obvious signs of sickness, like a cough, or they just really look ill, and there's no parent or guardian there to take them home, obviously the bus driver has to put them on the bus. Mm -hmm. And then the school buses are saying, well, put that child alone on the seat directly behind the driver that's a concern for the driver sure because then the child who is exhibiting these signs of sickness is really close so you know it's just multiple layers of issues that have not been worked out we're very disappointed with the way it started we always have been you know proud of our safety record of being able to get kids to and from school every year this year is very different and it's not something we wanted we're trying to work out the details with all the different boards and the government it's just one issue after another this year. You know, there are some transit systems that, uh, as we moved into this phase, of course, uh, had to retrofit a number of their, their buses, uh, you know, with plexiglass and things of this nature to try to do what they could to maximize the, the protection for drivers. Uh, that would be a very expensive enterprise, I guess, with school buses. And I, I, I well, somebody's got to pony up for the cost of that. Uh, you'd like to think that that would help assuage some of the concerns that the drivers have. But in the meantime, I mean, as I say, when the door opened yesterday, I saw this, it, that he, he had a mask on, and so did the kids have mask on on the bus. But at the same time, uh, you know, there's, there's, 
still touching the going on you're still peeking by and i i can understand this which i guess begs the first question when you get around to you know when we said okay it's it, you know schools are going to be starting in a couple of days uh, how do you recruit when when people are saying i i don't know if it's safe at, at this stage i mean how it, 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 even people that have been doing it for years have probably had some apprehension about going back this year yeah it's 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 getting the the drivers to come back it's retaining the new drivers and it's everything that you mentioned. And it's, you know, the, the whole issue of the barrier around the uh, school bus driver is an interesting one because on, on the one hand, you think that that would, that would help a lot. But on the other hand, we're not like the public transit um, buses because we only have one entry and exit point. Yeah. Um, and the, the key issue for anything to do on a school bus is making sure that the driver has mobility to get to the younger students, like the JK kids who are three and four years old, and help them out in an evacuation scenario. So if that barrier, let's say, God forbid, there were a horrible circumstance where the bus crashed, whatever, and then that barrier prevented the driver from getting to a small child at the back, that's a problem. And that's why the barriers aren't necessarily recommended. Everything to do with a school bus construction is done through something called a D250 committee that's based through the Canadian Standards Association and the federal and provincial governments. And that committee has warned about several things in terms of an evacuation with those barriers. So not an easy solution. It's not an easy, easy thing, is it? No, of course not. Therein lies the problem. And just as we've had discussions with some of our uh, our city politicians over the last couple of days about the the pressures that they're facing right now, and, and certainly you are in the industry here with school buses, uh, which is exacerbated by the fact that you don't know when this is going to end. It's not as if, well, okay, we just have to hang in here for five or six more months. You don't know uh, how long this no. is going to be, uh, and, it, and it's going to be somewhat problematic. And I know that the government has told us that they're going to monitor all of this stuff in the classroom and certainly on school buses as well, uh, which I guess is cold comfort to somebody if they find they're going to be exposed to the virus. Absolutely. And then you add to the fact that, you know, the operators are worried because when a, when a route gets cancelled, Obviously, when the bus isn't running, they don't get paid. So they're worried about their businesses on top of that. I mean, like I said, it's one layer after another of issues that there don't seem to be any answers to at this point. I mean, we're not like any other sector in Ontario. Every sector in Ontario has had trouble getting back up and running again. Um, Ours is in the same boat. And um, it's a very scary time for a lot of people. And it's understandable. Well, we've had discussions over the last couple of years, as we say, the idea of shortages in, in school bus drivers is not new. It's, it's, it's a lot worse now because of COVID-19. Uh, but you know, the issue of compensation was something that came up time and time again as well, that uh, they don't make a ton of money for doing this, and, and it's, it can be a stressful job at times. I'm sure a lot of them have a lot of fun with it with the kids when things are normal. Uh, but the stress level has increased immediately, and I'm sure there are probably more than a few drivers that said, you know what, I don't need this anymore. I know it's not as if you're making a ton of money to do this, and I'm exposing myself to, uh, well, if you're a plus 60 person, as you say, most of the drivers seem to fall into that demographic, uh, you know that you're a higher risk for something like this. And and we also know that, uh, that you know, kids may not exhibit all the, the, the symptoms, but they can be asymptomatic and they can be Absolutely. spreaders. Yeah, and that's the scary thing. And the issue of wages is another interesting thing because, you know, it's not consistent across the province. A lot of it is dictated by the contracts that the operators enter into with the individual school boards and the transportation planners, and there's no consistency. So that adds to it as well, and that's why it attracts retirees. And it also seems to attract, um, 
you know, new mothers and young mothers who, who um, you know, have just had kids and, and they want to get back in and make a little bit of extra money. But as I said, it's a split shift. It's part time for the most part. And um, so, you know, that shrinks the availability of the labor pool. I know that we had a discussion uh, about the quote-unquote essential workers back when the shutdown happened last March. And as you may recall, of course, the the provincial government actually ponied up a little bit of extra money for some of those workers, uh, especially, you know, people that were paid on an hourly wage, grocery store clerks and things of that nature, uh, as, as essentially to say, look, at you know, we, we know you're putting yourself in, in danger here in a precarious position. Uh, we want to make it a little more worth your while. Now, there's, there was a timeline to it. it, it didn't, it's not going to last forever. We got that, and some of them no. have already expired. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming, Nancy, they didn't offer you the same thing. Well, they offered us something that's called a driver retention program. Which okay. Is twice, yeah, it's, a twi- it's been in effect, though. It's not new. It's been in effect for a couple of years. And what it is, the drivers who are eligible, and um, it's basically showing up to work week in and week out, they get a twice-a-year uh, bonus from this driver retention program, which is provincially funded. But that's not a new program, and they renewed it this year, which we're very thankful for. They did pour um, a lot of extra money also into what's called root protection, which is um, making available some additional funds for the cleaning and sanitizing of buses for bus drivers. You know, they have to spend an extra half hour a day cleaning and sanitizing. Sure. So they, they provided that kind of money for us. So we, we were very thankful for that. What happens? What's the protocol? Uh, because I know our parents are going to ask me this. I'm going to get emails as soon as we finish our conversation here. We, we kind of have a pretty good idea what the protocol is going to be in a classroom if all of a sudden somebody tests positive or starts, starts showing symptoms. Is there a protocol in place that what the drivers have to do if they think one of their, their passengers, one of their students, is, is, is exhibiting signs? I mean, you mentioned about if they were there, you have to pick them up anyway, but then what? Well, then, I, you know, and again, this depends on the local provincial um, public health unit. So we take our cues from all the different public health units from across the province. And it has happened in one or two circumstances. I can't remember where. I think it was in Ottawa. But um, there was someone who was symptomatic, and then the bus driver was put in isolation. It was up to the operator to find a replacement for that bus driver, and the students were notified and to be honest with you, I don't know if they were put in isolation as well, but I know that the driver himself had to be put in isolation. Yeah, which means you don't work, you don't get paid. Yeah. Uh, we're in line, that, that, that's part of the problem in situations like this. As I say, the, the, the concern about what's going to happen and the implications for the drivers themselves, uh, which is why we see canceled routes. And it's, it's frustrating for everybody involved in this. And uh, you mentioned about the fact that, you know, what's going on in Hamilton is not maybe not the same as what's happening in London or, not the, or Windsor or anyplace else. Would it help if there were provincial standards vis-a-vis pay, vis-a-vis working conditions, things of that nature? It would be helpful, it would be helpful if there were consistent contracts mm-hmm. that were fair and reasonable across the province. The, you're getting into some really nitty-gritty issues here that we've been asking for changes for for a very long time in terms of the way the contracts are set up and the way they work, and it gets really technical and legalistic. But, um, yeah, we would like to see some changes to the way the contracts are made with the with the local school boards. Well, simply because we've seen, because of some of the financial challenges, which are only worse now because of COVID, uh, we've seen boards of education, you know, trying to do some innovative things. Here in Hamilton, of course, you know, well, there was the, the amalgamation of some routes, you know. There used to be a Catholic, uh, you know, school bus uh, system and a, and a private one, a public one. Uh, they, they're sharing routes now, and they're sharing that, and that's wonderful. Uh, you know, but 
the the work and the input for the drivers themselves, I think, has to be part of that discussion as well. Absolutely, and we've been asking for that for a long time. And what hap- what's happening right now across Ontario is basically shining a spotlight on some of the weaknesses and the problems that have been that have existed in the system for years. And they're just coming to light now out how precarious a position we are with our driver pool, with all sorts of different issues with regards to the contracts. And I don't know if how familiar you are with school bus transportation, but there were two retired justices who did um, some really, really good reporting on some of the problems in the school bus industry and how the contracts are set up and you know, arbitration and very legalistic and, and difficult system to navigate. And we had always said that we'd like to see some of those those recommendations implemented. And um, this is going back almost 10 years, though. But, you know, we're shining the spotlight on some of the problems that we're having right now. And it's really, really disappointing that we're here. Well, as we've said with so many other facets of this, too, I mean, you know, th- this is not a problem that was caused by COVID, but it was certainly exacerbated by COVID yeah. uh, because it's it's different now with social distancing, with the other protocols that have to be in place right now. And it puts a great deal of pressure on the drivers themselves. Uh, and, and, you know, you'd like to think that at some point there's going to be a, a broader discussion about this and how we can try to alleviate this uh, for as long as this is going to be happening. Because as we just talked about from a, a, a political standpoint with a couple of representatives from city councils, uh, you know, they've already been told that, look, at, things probably aren't going to change much in 2021 as they are right now, so you better be ready for that. Well, I guess that same message goes out to you too and the drivers. Yep, and we're doing everything we can to fix it. We've had extensive conversations with the provincial government. We've had extensive conversations with the local school boards. We're doing everything we can to try and fix the situation. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of solutions right now. Um, and we're just asking, I mean, I hate saying this, but we're asking for patience. And that's, it's not an answer. I know that. But it, it's where we are right now. What kind of feedback are you getting from your drivers? You know, it's difficult. I mean, there's a lot of them that are really positive and saying, you know, let's do the best we can this year. Let's make the best of a bad situation. There are others who are just saying, you know, I really like doing my job, but, you know, I've got an elderly parent at home or I've got grandkids I want to see. So I'm just deciding to to leave the industry. You know, a lot of these people are so loyal. Yeah, They've been doing this for a long time and they love it. Which only makes a bad situation even worse. Uh, Nancy, let's stay in touch on this and, and see. Yeah, uh, the, the government, uh, the provincial government has promised that they're going to monitor all facets of what's going on, uh, education, and, and busing, of course, is, is certainly part of that. And uh, they said that they can be flexible about this. So, you know, we'll see what kind of next steps, if any, they're going to make on this. But thanks so much for the time today. Oh, thank you so much. And thanks for diving into the real issues here. It's really hard to um, discuss some of these things in a school environment. There's so much going on, but we really appreciate it. Okay, thanks again, Nancy. Take care. Stay well. Nancy Daniel, Executive Director for the uh, School Buses of Ontario. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. I want to talk more about COVID, the uh, ongoing uh, concern and the ongoing uh, attempts by the the Ford government to try to do something about keeping the curve down. I know the Premier has told us that he's getting very frustrated when he starts to see an increase in the number of cases, and testing is going to be part of that. I know they talked about that yesterday uh, with some new initiatives. Well, there is a new tool that's been implemented by the Ontario government to help parents, staffers, and students on a daily basis to assess themselves for COVID-19. Joining us to talk about this is uh, Peter Bentherfalvi, who is the President of the Treasury Board. Uh, Mr. Minister, great to have you back on the program. How are you doing these days? I'm doing great, Bill. Thanks for asking, uh, and it's great to be back. 
Uh, you know, it's got to be frustrating. I know that, the, that you and the Premier and everybody in Cabinet has been working to try to make this thing work and to try to keep those numbers down. Uh, and then you hear a story about up in Pembroke there where you've got teachers that are showing up with symptoms, people, teachers not wearing masks, students not wearing masks. Uh, you've set the parameters there. Do you like to think that people are going to adhere to them? You know, the vast majority of people in the province, Bill, have been adhering to the protocols, and uh, we just got to keep uh, reinforcing that we can't be complacent. Everyone's got to do their part, and that's how we'll we'll beat this thing. It's, it's going to take all 14.5 million people in this province, and, you know, we'll continue to put the message out. The medical uh, profession continues to put out the message. I was at the press conference yesterday, and mm-hmm. Dr. Dirk Heyer, uh, who's in charge of the outbreak management uh, throughout the province, particularly through the schools, you know, made some great points about uh, before, during, and after. you got to think about, you know, if you're going into an environment, uh, you know, what, uh, how do you feel? Are, do you feel comfortable? Do you have your mask? When you're there, you know, you wear your mask, you, you socially distance uh, uh, where you can, and, and you wash your hands frequently, and you're mindful of your surroundings, and including things like thinking about, you know, if, you, if someone asks you to pass a, a cup of water or picture of water or something you got to think twice about it uh, because that's how it uh, moves around and then the after which is if you are feeling well um you know there's uh, and we'll get into it the screening tool that we've now put on the website yeah. uh there's the COVID alert app which uh, the ontario digital service which is now in my ministry is is another tool so there's lots of things that we can do and we're just going to keep at it well, because I know that uh, during the daily sessions, oftentimes there, there were questions asked of the premier or or Minister Elliott or whomever's there uh, about well, how are you going to how are you going to track this? How are you going to well this this app that you've talked about and maybe we'll get the explanation of it right now uh, is is a tool that's actually going to be very beneficial to that regard. Yeah, it's the COVID Alert app. You can use it on uh, you, you can download it for free on your iPhone through the uh, Apple App Store or your Android through the Google Play app. Over two and a half million people. We're the first province uh, to do it, so two and a half million people have downloaded it so far. Newfoundland's now come on board. It's free. It's easy to download, and it's very safe from a privacy point of view. And what it is is it basically once you've got the app and you've downloaded it, if you come into contact with uh, someone uh, fifteen uh, for fifteen minutes and two meters apart, uh, it'll it'll do through Bluetooth technology. will say, look, I've been close to Bill. Uh, they won't tell me who you are. Don't won't tell me where. And if I get COVID and I put then there's a key, a second voluntary move, and say I got COVID, then you'll be notified that somebody somewhere in the last two weeks you've been close to has gotten tested positive for COVID. Over two and a half million people have downloaded it. Multiple people have put in. Hundreds of people have put in the keys uh, when they got tested positive. And I can tell you, Bill, there's a story out in Ottawa where someone said, you know, they didn't have any of the symptoms, they had downloaded the app, they got notified that someone in the previous two weeks that they uh, had come into contact with somewhere uh, tested positive for COVID. So they went and got tested, had no symptoms, and uh, boom, they were positive. So, boy, is that just, uh, you know, simple and easy, fast and effective, and it's another, you know, it's not a silver bullet, but it's another tool in the toolkit. So I'd encourage all of your listeners to download that app. It's a great tool. Well, you know, one of the criticisms that I think probably uh, many of us are probably guilty of this to a certain extent is we, we, we got a little bit lax. And I know we had Dr. Williams on the program last week, the medical officer of health, and he was talking about that. And he says, you know, the social distancing especially, we're kind of getting a little sloppy about that. And and in some jurisdictions, not Ontario, but in some jurisdictions, they're saying, yeah, and this whole idea of testing and, and tracking is, is really, you know, 
not too many people paying attention to it, which is why I was gratified to, to watch what you guys were doing yesterday during the the, the daily press. Because here we're, we're really ramping up the, the diligence on this, aren't we? We really are, and you know we're we're going to keep rolling out new tools and new things to help uh, you know we'll beat COVID together. And I think the education screening tool that we announced yesterday, I've gone on it. It's on the website. So if you're a parent or a student, you can go on uh, through the COVID website and say, okay, what are some of the symptoms? And it's just a menu, and you just click which symptoms you think you got, and it'll then uh, tell you whether you say it's not go to school. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's not only good for parents, but is, of course, for teachers, too. And we have some examples now in the province where teachers have the symptoms and they're going to school. So it's so easy. You can do it anytime, uh, when you want, where you want. Go on the website. Do it on your phone, on your laptop. It's a screening tool. Boom, you've got it, and it gives you some guidance. So it's another little thing. It's come out of the Ontario Digital Service, which is my uh, my ministry on top of Treasury Board. And we're just going to keep innovating and providing the people of Ontario, families and students and teachers, more tools to combat COVID-19. Well, I mean, we've seen the long lineups in, in some other jurisdictions about people that want testing and they're not sure whether or not they have symptoms or not. Uh, uh, you're using 21st, sec- 21st century technology, though, to make sure that people at least are on the same page. Uh, informed people are always going to be, you know, better at this sort of thing. You know, you're giving them a wealth of information here so that they can make an informed decision as to whether or not they should go to work that day, go to school that day, uh, get tested for something like that. And it's, it's really, as you say, a couple of clicks away on your phone. Well, so it's, it's real time. It's um, based on the best medical advice. We got some of the best medical uh, people, Dr. David Williams and his team, all the public health units, Dr. Dirk Heyer, who was on the press conference with me yesterday, and the premier. Uh, we've got some really uh, smart people out there, and uh, the message, whether it's uh, through online or through press conferences or through print or, you know, just this, uh, thank you for, for having me on, Bill, you know, getting the message out through uh, through your listeners you know, we're going to use every tool in our toolkit to keep, uh, you know, innovating and, and saying the message because that is, it's as simple as that. If, if you wash your hands, wear a mask and stay uh, six feet apart, man, you're going to kill this thing. Well, exactly. And and that's why I wanted you to come on and talk about this today, Peter, because uh, as I say, I, I know the Premier was quite upset and quite concerned over the last couple of days when he saw the increases uh, in new cases that are going on. And uh, there's no way we're going to let it get as bad as it was before. And he, you guys are being proactive about this, and this is going to be a great tool. Uh, now, just one more time, I know you got to scoot, you got a busy day ahead of you. Uh, where can they get information about this? On the webpage? Yeah, yeah, just go on the webpage. Uh, uh, it's... Uh covid-19 uh, so covid-19.ontario.ca slash school screening uh, excellent so you just put in school screening covid19ontario.ca slash school screening just stuff. check it out it's it's really a great tool i've used it um, i put in i don't have any symptoms but i checked it out anyway and it was it was terrific so uh, it's uh, and and don't forget to go to the app store for the COVID alert uh, app as well because that's uh, it's free it's private it's safe and um, you know let's hope the second wave bill is is, is small but uh, you know if everyone's got this if everyone gets tested catch it early that's how we win exactly Peter as always thanks so much for this great talking with you again today my pleasure Bill look forward to uh, 
talking again soon. Okay, and happier times, we can hope, too. Peter Bethlenfalvy, of course, President of the Treasury Board here for the province of Ontario. Check out that app. It's very important. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.